Okay, folks, so here's the show. Heroes and howlers, and the rest is history. My name's Mikey Robbins. I'm a bit of a history nerd, but my mate Paul Wilson... Hi, everybody. Paul's a proper historian, all the way from Oxford. Thank you, Maggie. Okay, it's about those weird bits of history, the bizarre twists of fate. The cock-ups actually made the (laughs) stuff-ups that have made the world what it is today. G'day, folks. And today's show, well, Paul, we're going to talk about... A fancy word for it is progeny. That's right, Mikey. We're talking procreation. Royal fruits of the loins, producing the all-important air and keeping those bloodlines flowing. Let's face it, you know, the modern monarch, the only job they've got is to cut a ribbon and pop out a baby or two. Which is probably why, for some kings and queens, the whole issue of progeny becomes a defining feature. Henry VIII having the most wives and... Because uh, he's desperate to get a male heir. Yeah, exactly. You know, Genghis Khan having you know, the most um, you know, DNA scattered all over. Yeah, 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 I mean, the, seriously, the, the theory goes that DNA of Genghis Khan it even turned up in my cat. It, it was so prodigious. But, but what I want actually, so there was the before we get into the, into the episode, because I know you, you like your obscure stuff. Yeah, who was the biggest breeder well, of, of all time? I'm, I'm thinking Queen Victoria. Obviously, she had a few. You know, um, and in in Europe, we've got some we've got some contenders. You know, there's the old. John the Second, Duke of Cleves, oh, uh, nicknamed the, the baby, baby maker. maker. The baby maker. <laughs> but um, I think the the awards got to go to Ishmael Ibn Sharif, the 12th century ruler of Morocco. He had, and get this, folks, he had a harem of over 500 women. Whoa. Yeah, 525 sons Whoa. and 342 daughters, and they're they're only the ones that were registered. That's a lot of nappy changing, <laughs> mate. And let's not forget, this is 800 years before Viagra. But anyway. But back to today. I think the reason why we were talking about progeny is because you want to talk about someone special, one of your favourite, one of my favourite, French kings. Louis the Fourteenth, Louis the Fourteenth, The Sun King. And well, in terms of progeny, you know, he must rate pretty high up on that list. Yeah, mate, uh, the guy barely had his genitals dry <laughs> for the whole of his very long, very long kingship. But, but it wasn't always that way. No, in fact, I think, Paulie, and this is why I wanted to do today's episodes, folks, mm-hmm. I think here's a man who's gone down in history as a bit of a hero, mm-hmm. but really was only a tally-ho paper away from being remembered as a bloody howler. Right, so what saved him? Well, Paul, it turned out his whole fate lay in the hands of one of the most, I reckon, underrated figures in European history. Right. The, the sex instructor that saved the Bourbon dynasty. The sex instructor, yeah, go no, on. Known to us today as One-Eyed Catherine for reasons that will become blatantly clear. One-Eyed Catherine. Catherine. And this, she literally had one eye? Yeah, yeah, in <laughs> fact, but that, don't. Don't get ahead of yourself. Okay, go which, on. Which is actually what she said to Louis. Uh, now, the thing is, you have to remember, too, even though we know the Bourbon dynasty, yeah. it wasn't like the Habsburgs. It was one of the... If you look back at their family tree, they were always just clinging to power by their fingernails. That's right, yeah. They, they weren't what, what we call you know, top table um, European families. Rather, they were known as one of the junior cadet branches because, in many ways, they were lucky to be in charge at all and only really took over because the Valois dynasty died out. But now, also, do you remember, yeah, the, the, the middle of the 17th century, mm. France is already looking across the channel to England and they've mm. seen all the problems that have gone on with the Tudors. Well, that's it. You know, Elizabeth, uh, um, when she died with no kids, obviously that started a disaster well, and, and also ended a dynasty as well, which is what the Bourbons are so worried about. They were terrified about that. Of course, Europe at the same time is, <laughs> surprise, surprise, in the middle of more wars. You've got the Franco-Spanish War, which is really important. Well, the French basically 
to at war with everyone in the yeah. 17th century. Yeah, you know, well, it's, the French are <laughs> like that. And of course, it is everywhere to the, the French tradition of primogen. What we like to call primogenitor. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> this means that the firstborn will always inherit. And of course, you know, we're talking firstborn male back then. Right, the firstborn will always inherit. And if you have a firstborn, your succession plan is pretty much safe. It's good to go. But, right, but if you don't have any offspring, it's all on for young and old. Sure, the crown might pass to a brother or a nephew. Yeah, keep it in the family. But rivals can throw their hats into the ring. Yep. Second cousins, mm-hmm. competing families within your own realm, mm. even kings and dynasties from elsewhere in Europe. Which exactly, Mikey, is what happened you know, so disastrously in the Hundred Years' War yeah. between the, you know, the English Plantagenets and the French Valois. Right. So here we are. It's 1654. Right. Louis XIV busting his cherry and the House of Bourbon. Right. Now, you have to remember, Louis becomes king at the age of four. That's right, because that's back in 43, he becomes king when he's four. That's right. And his mother... Anne of Austria, wasn't it? Yep. Who'd been married to Louis XIII. Exactly. She clings to power because he's, you know, he's the he's the Dauphin. That's right. Now the, well, he's more than a Dauphin no. now. Now he's the king, isn't he? Oh, he's but, the king. But yeah. she's going to be the regent. That's yeah, right. She, she, yeah. So she's the regent. I love when you pick me up on the fine points, Paul, but he's dead right. <laughs> but the thing is, so he's about to approach his 16th birthday. Right. Now, she knows if she's got to cling to power, she's going to have to prove that Louis, the kid, the Louis, you know, Louis XIV, the young king, can actually perform in the sack. Now, the problem for her is she made no secret of the fact that her husband, Louis' dad, the late Louis XIII, yeah. was a bit of a dud between the sheets. Yeah, well, I think there was something about they were married for 20 years yeah. before they even had their first child. So maybe, yeah. you know, they, well, the, they the, weren't doing too well on the old uh, nighttime department. Well, yeah. there was a rumour he was gay, but, but, but either way, and let's face it too, they weren't the best looking of men. <laughs> They're all a little on the short side, all had to wear high heels. Well, this is the thing about Louis XIV, isn't it, Mikey? Because, yeah, we call him the Sun King. Yeah, he reigns for 72, 72 years? Yeah, 72 years, yeah. Longest reigning monarch. Yeah, everyone talks about this glorious king. I've seen those paintings. Apparently, he's five foot four. He literally wore high heels and a giant wig to try and make himself as tall as the rest of his courtiers. Now, as you can imagine, folks, for a 16-year-old boy, this is raising more than a few eyebrows. In fact, well, he's developing something of a reputation. A big reputation. (laughs) And no matter which eligible young princess... Or countess or duchess... Yep, no matter who they parade in front of him, young Louis isn't showing a blind (laughs) bit of interest. So here's the thing. It's 1654. Louis is turning 16. The whole court is desperate to find out whether he can perform in the sack. Do his do, yeah. Now, Mum does what most French queens would do. She consults <laughs> the most powerful person in the land, which, as you know from French history, is a cardinal. and uh, We're not talking Richelieu here, folks. No, it's that's Mazarin. The, that's the next one. Mazarin, wasn't it? Mazarin was the cardinal. And he, together with Anne of Austria, they were the regents for Louis while he was growing up. That's right. So they decide that Louis XIV is going to have to pop his cherry, yep. but with the right person. So they draw up a list of criteria, a wish list if you like, and these are the actual notes that have been handed down. Now they decide the right candidate should not be overly ambitious, right? free of disease, yet skilled in the bedroom arts. Right. They had to be trusted to keep their mouth shut. And they also <laughs> yeah. they also came across the theory that she should not be a great beauty and also potentially not much a beauty. And much older than the king. Right. Because they didn't want someone who would be infatuated 
it with and fall ah, in love. Ah, right, okay. So and, test the water, but don't get too involved. Sort of and thing. they eventually looked around the court and they came to Catherine Henrietta Bellier. Catherine Henrietta Also Bellier. known as One-Eyed Catherine. <laughs> One-Eyed Kate, okay. She, she had one eye. She was trusted by Anne Tick. She was happily married. Yeah. But she'd had a pretty raunchy affair with the Archbishop of Son. Okay. So she knew her way around the So she knew post. what she was doing, yeah. Yeah. And she didn't have any diseases as well. Which, which for her time was, was, was pretty remarkable. And she was described by a contemporary as as ugly as ugly can be. Okay. So she's 25 years older than But Luke. they reckon that's the one. That's the one. <laughs> Let's get this one-eyed woman in okay. the bed and see if the kid can do it. So... It's an autumn afternoon, 1654. The Bourbon dynasty is clinging by a fingernail. Louis comes home from, from hunting. Right. Goes into his bedroom and there's, there's one-eyed Catherine. And there is one-eyed Kate. Waiting for him in the nut and... <laughs> okay. He goes to it like a duck to water. You're kidding. Absolutely. Fat. Loves it. Loves it. In fact, <laughs> loves it so much that he keeps going back several times a day for years afterwards. Even after he got married? Even after he got married. To Princess Marie-Therese of Spain. No, he's married to Princess Marie-Therese. Marie-Therese, who's Spanish. In fact, that marriage... That was the smartest marriage of all time, right? Well, his mum sets it up. Not only does his mum set, set him up getting laid, but his mum <laughs> also, also finds his wife, and that salutes the Franco's, the end of the Franco-Spanish war. Yeah, that finishes war. the old Franco-Spanish war. And dare yeah. I say, this wouldn't have happened if Kate hadn't kept an eye out for him. Okay, so here we are, and we're talking just how one king's performance in the sack could make or break a dynasty. We're talking about Louis XIV, uh, who famously went on to sire many, many children, but how as a shy young boy, he'd never really shown an interest in the opposite sex, and he wouldn't have done if it hadn't have been for the most important sex instructor in history, one-eyed Kate. And, and so then Louis goes on, as, you, as we mentioned before. And then before. he's happily married for the rest of his life. No. Oh. No, basically, the guy spent most of the 17th century with his pantaloons around his ankles. Ah, okay. He had so many mistresses. In fact, didn't he even have his brother's wife? Wasn't she one of his mistresses, Henrietta of England? Yes. Wasn't that the Duke of Orleans' wife? Yes, yes, in, indeed, yes. She, she, she was English royalty. And he, it's, it's, it's like... She's daughter of Charles I. Yeah, so he had it away with her. And then, of course, there's Louis' most famous mistress, Madame de Montespan. Now, she was quite special, wasn't she? Because she wasn't it the whole time Louis was married to Marie Therese. Yeah, the whole time Louis and his queen are living in the palace. In Versailles. Yeah, yeah. Louis' brand spanking new palace. Probably the fanciest palace the world's ever seen, actually. Yeah, well, the whole time Louis and Marie Therese are living upstairs. Yeah. Downstairs, you've got Madame de Montespan. She, she's also popping out Louis' kids left, right and centre. No way. Yeah, cross my heart, mate. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's pretty unbelievable because, look, folks, don't get me wrong, I know Versailles is a bloody big place, I've been there, but you've still got to be pretty brave, haven't you, Mikey? Do you have your wife living upstairs in one set of rooms and then your mistress just a few floorboards below? They could have heard anything. But right? also, too, there's also our friends for Anthony de Rochefort. They're all over okay. the place. The, the one, were they were they just mistresses or were they having kids as well? Well, yeah, and in fact, Louis, if they were a woman of title, he would take care of the kids, often, right. often give them titles. Mm -hmm. On a slightly creepier note, not only was he obsessed with shagging every woman in court, it wasn't that he liked to be there for the birth. He actually constructed a special table and a chair to get a better view. I'm st I'm, I don't want to go okay. into that one. That's got dad right. issues. I don't want to talk about <laughs> But let's talk about the kids, because how many kids did he have? So with his own wife, he had, what, four, five, uh, no, uh, two? He has six with his wife. Right. He has seven with Madame Montspan. 
They reckon she actually became his second wife in a secret marriage after Marie Theresa died. Made an honest woman of her, fair enough. Then there's a whole bunch of other ones. And the other weird thing too is when his first wife was alive, Mm. and Louis being Louis, he brings his own version of morality to this. Right. He always, no matter what he got up to of the day, he would always make it home in bed. Mistresses, he always said, okay, mistresses were for daytime. All right, okay. But the bed was for wifey time. And so total, how many are we looking at total for the kids? No one knows officially, but it seems to be round about 17, 18. Okay, so he's what? They're the ones that are officially recognised. Sure. But I'm always willing to bet there's there's a couple of more bastards hanging around. All right, okay, so we've got Louis XIV, Sun King, literally the longest reigning monarch in European history. And, of course, you know how how we got the name the the Sun King? I don't, actually. Go on, give me this one. He decided that everyone should call him the Sun King. It's like that episode of Seinfeld when George decides that he wants to be called T-Bone. Right. Except being Louis, it worked. So So Louis just said, call me the Sun King, please, and they all said, okay. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. yeah. turns up at breakfast. Uh, Look, uh, for the rest of the time, I'm the Sun King. Well, I suppose that's that's probably pretty relevant, though, isn't it, mate? Because... when we talk about Louis the Fourteenth, that's what we're talking about, isn't it? It's the age of absolutism, yeah, yeah. the divine right of kings. Yeah, what was he say? It is legal because I wish it, or something. Yeah, Wasn't yeah. that one of his quotes? Well, yeah. well, exactly. And so what he says goes: if he says I'm going to sun king, then you say, Thanks "Hello, hello, Mister Sun." So we heard about Madame de Montespan, but what happened to One-Eyed Kate in the end, Mikey? Well, I'm glad to say that One-Eyed Kate <laughs> was well taken care of. Right, so um, she's rewarded for, yeah, for her services. She, she, she became a baroness. Oh, she right. Was, and she was given uh, a townhouse and basically a small oh, palace This is Paris. that Baroness de Beauvais and yeah, the Hotel de Beauvais. Yeah, I, okay. I, in fact, it was from the balcony of the Hotel de Beauvais mm-hmm. that Louis's mother watched Louis marry Marie Theresa. No way. Yeah, so, so, so she, it wasn't like She's she was... part of the family. She was closer than Camilla. But, but, but let's not forget, because we're talking about progeny and particularly how, how it applied to the Bourbon family, yeah. the royal family of France. I mean, like these days, an heir and a spare is enough. But, <laughs> but yeah, actually, yeah, you're right, isn't it? Because that's the thing about Louis. How, so you reckon he had 17, 18 so kids. No, no, so, but so, there almost wasn't enough, was there? Because his son and heir, he, well, he died in 1711, didn't he? Um, uh, he died of smallpox. Small, was it smallpox? And he lost a grandson about three years later to measles. And his great-grandson at the same time, wasn't it? Wasn't, wasn't, yeah, yeah. Like, there was a, some tragedy in his family, 1712. Died, yeah, that was the one that died hunting. And, of course, by that time, he'd also effectively lost his other grandson, Philip, because he'd had to renounce the claim to the French throne to become Philip V, King of Spain, which leaves... Which leaves, actually, bizarrely enough, the other final great-grandson, who's just five years old. Yeah. The bloke we know as Louis Fifteenth. But isn't there, isn't there a story that even this kid was in trouble as yeah. well, Mikey? This last of the great-grandson was, was on death's door. Yeah. As well, yes. they were really worried that he was going to die before great-grandpa. Because he was a really sickly kid, but he was the most direct in line. So, so it's that same thing that almost falls apart. But saved by the bell. And the rest is history. Now, folks, just to remind you, we're talking about progeny, the French throne... And the Bourbon family, which is Louis, Louis and Louis, 14, 15, 16, yeah. the big ones. Now, we all know that Louis XVI married Marie Antoinette, right? Yes. But they were kids when they were married. Right. He was 15 and she was a mere 14, which even for the French court was young. Was young, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, of course, yeah, yeah. And it's, Once again, it's, it's it's, the last, he's the last chance, isn't he, Louis XVI? If, if, he, if he goes, they all go. Exactly. 
And things get so bad after a few years mm. that Marie Antoinette's um, mother, the Empress Marie Theresa of Austria, mm. sends her son, Joseph II, the Holy Roman Emperor, yeah. to Versailles to see what's going on between these kids who basically, they've been married for like four years by now. Right. And they haven't produced an offspring. And he hasn't ha- he hasn't seen One-Eyed Kate yet. No, well, no. I, I think One-Eyed Kate <laughs> might have shuffled off to One-Eyed Kate heaven. Right. So, um, well, Joseph goes. Mm. I, I remind you again, he is Holy Roman Emperor. Uh, Mike, he's got something here. He's yes, gonna, I have. He's uh, going to read something official. Yeah, he writes a letter to his brother Leopold. Right. This is Joseph writing to his brother Leopold describing the sex life of his sister. Yeah. And who's Marie Antoinette. Yeah. Okay. This is directly from the letter. Okay. In his marriage bed, he has strong erections. He inserts his member. Who are we talking? We're talking about Louis XVI here, mate. Louis the Sixteenth. Okay, right, you know what? I'm going back to the start. Mm. In his marriage bed, yeah. he has strong erections. He inserts his member, remains there for about two minutes without moving, withdraws without ejaculating, and while still erect, bids good night. It's incomprehensible how my sister does not have the temperament for this, and together they make an utterly inept couple. And this is Joseph writing to his brother to his brother about his system so what he was watching how does he know about all this well either, either he's watching or Marie Antoinette <laughs> has given him the blow by blow well so to speak and let's, let's face it I don't even know what car my sister drives so that's a lot of family yeah. information but it's that, it's, it's that same thing too much information I to go, but it is that same thing mate it's, it's all about yeah. how basically Who's the best progenitor? That's right. Getting off. How can we keep that family dynasty alive? Well, there you go, folks. That's our take on Louis XIV, the Sun King, and his his sex instructor, One-Eyed Kate. They did what they needed to do, kept the Bourbons going. Indeed. Although, let's be honest, eventually the House of Bourbons wasn't... It doesn't end well. ...wasn't a complete success story, was it? Because you could sort of say as well, looking back on Louis' reign, that... it was all very well being the age of absolutism and yeah. uh, divine right of it. But he did, you know, after Mazarin died, he took all that power for himself, didn't he? You know, that one king, one law, one faith thing, you know, persecuting the Huguenots. And eventually it always was going to come back to bite him. So, you know, maybe, you know, maybe those long reigns aren't well, always yeah. the quite what they're cracked up to be. And let's not forget, too, when you look back at Marie Antoinette, it's all going to end up with a dreadful movie by Sophia Coppola several centuries later. <laughs> you, have you seen that? <laughs> oh, it's oh. awful. All right, OK, end of the show, folks. We are looking at how getting the horn changed history. Speaking of which, before we leave that, we've got to remember that, that, that these rules still apply today. In fact, Kate and William from the English family, royal family, are the first couple to actually announce, royal couple to announce, that if they had a daughter first, yep. she would become queen before a younger brother be- became king. That's true. That's true. Primogenitor uh, really did have uh, modern repercussions right up until, you know, until yesterday, really. So to speak, yeah. But marks out of 10, Mikey. What are we saying for getting the horn, one-eyed Kate, changing history? Oh, What's well, he mate? Normally I'd give this one just a seven, but you check a one-eyed Kate in <laughs> gonna, yeah, It's, it's a genuine eight and a half for me. It's going to be a bonus. Actually, Mikey, can I just highlight here, because yeah, we've had a lot of heroes on the show already. And more howlers than you can shake a stick at. Right. Lots of heroes and howlers, but I think one-eyed Kate should go down as our very first Heroine. 100% right, mate. True heroine of history. Okay. Any questions, folks? Drop us a line on all your social media using the handle at and the rest is hist. And the rest is hist. And you can find all that stuff in the show notes. Okay. And if you like the podcast, don't forget to like, subscribe and comment, you know, whichever platforms you usually use to listen to your podcasts. Okay, Paulie, next episode. 
And do you reckon you've got history's greatest travesty? That's right, Mikey. Yeah, we're talking complete injustice how a forgotten man of history, Niccolo Polo, had his moment of glory cruelly snatched by that conniving, showboating son of his, Marco. A family feud. I like it already. (laughs) 